Man, I always like to introduce how I get what I get. The last sermon I preached, um, I just sat down for about, I don't know, 10 minutes uh, in my little place I call my tent of meeting, and um, God gave me the sermon, and that was it. Um, but today's a little different. Um, Tuesday morning, first of all, we, we talk about sharing praises, and I didn't write mine down. Wednesday night, God taught me something, or not Wednesday night, Monday night, he taught me something through Milt. Where's Milt? He's down with the kids. Oh, he went to Kidland. And um, as we were starting to pray, Milt said something so simple yet so profound. He says, I don't understand why people don't pray more because it's free. free. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> why do we neglect something so powerful and so profound when it's so available? And so as we were praying, God put a few different things on my heart that night. But I've been having a lot of trouble with my knee. And I didn't say nothing Monday night because I, I didn't know what was going on. But as we were praying, my knee popped twice while we were praying. And because as everybody was praying, we spent a lot of time in prayer. I was telling God, I want to get back on that basketball court. I really do. And, um, and my knee popped twice, and the pressure began to relieve off of it. And I didn't say anything Monday night because I didn't know what to say. And so um, it, it, it's been back and forth this week, but I wanted to share that with you guys so that you would um, hear that while every person was, was doing what is free and available and powerful, I was praying in myself telling God that I wanted to get back on that basketball court, he began to do a work on my knee right in that place. And so then a, another couple was having, a woman was having some trouble and she asked for prayer and we got up at the end of the night and we laid hands on her and prayed and I seen her two days later and I said, so how are things going? And she says, one, I, I can't believe what a great two days I've had. Like, God just took all that weight that was on me and lifted it off. And, and I looked at her and I said, it's free. <laughs> it's free. All we did was pray. She, she said, oh, man, you guys did it. And I said, no, God did it. And he did it because it's free. That's exactly what I told him. <laughs> and so Tuesday morning, I've been getting up in the mornings. And, and um, if you think about praying for Seth this morning, Seth's down preaching. But I've been getting up and I've been praying, and I've been getting up against my will. I haven't been able to sleep. So Tuesday morning, I got up. Soon as I opened my eyes, God gave me the structure, if you would, of today's sermon. And so I was like, cool, man. I wrote it down, the ideas. Thursday, when I went to look at it and put it together, I had no idea why I wrote those ideas down. <laughs> I could not figure out what God was showing me Tuesday morning. Friday when I went to put it down because I got to send it to JJ on Saturday morning so he can put it up here. I couldn't figure out, dude, what, what was it? And I, I was getting little pieces of it, and I went back and read the scripture, and some of it was coming together. And Saturday morning I get up early, 4 o'clock in the morning, sat down with God, couldn't put it together. I want you all to know that today's sermon is fresh off the printing press. I did it this morning. But this is what I think God was showing me. I never want to come in here and do this in the flesh. 
And so Saturday night, I told him last night, I told my wife and I, and I was, as I was praying, for a moment I fell asleep as I was sitting down with my blank piece of paper with nothing on it, had a big old wet spot on it where I kind of just, bam, <laughs> fell down right in it and drooled on And so when I woke up a little bit later that night, I just ripped that page off and, and I sat down to do it again and it just wasn't there. And so I told God, well, maybe it's somebody else has something. Maybe you don't want me to preach today. But one thing I know that it's going to be an awkward morning because I'm not going to go in there and fake it. And um, I said, I'll see you in the morning. And so I went on to bed. And Chris was like, how do you do that? I said, I ain't worried about it. It ain't my problem. It's his message. If he wants to get it out, he'll get it out. And so I woke up this morning, and it was... It, I couldn't believe it. I sat down and I wrote two pages of notes. So I hope y'all ain't got nowhere to go <laughs> for a while. Uh, and, and I don't even know where it came from or, or how he did it. Which way do I go with this thing, Judy? Yeah, we'll figure it out. Darren. Is it on? Turn it on. You gotta make sure it's turned on. Oh. There's a power button. So I want to share with y'all what he gave me. Focus. Focus. Having a faith that stays on course under stress. That's what I've seen in the scripture. I've seen it Tuesday morning, but I just couldn't put it together. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray here in just a minute. But I want to ask you three questions. So if you're a note taker, I want you to answer these three questions. First question is, why am I here? Now, every week we get up and say... Why are we here? What are we doing here? Help each, Healthy, help each other see life from God's perspective. How many of you in your heart purposed it today to come here to encounter God? That's what we're here to do. I'm telling you that if we don't encounter God in this setting, we're wasting our time. We encounter him in worship. We encounter him in the fellowship. That's what the praise is all about and all the walking around that we do and talking during it. And then we encounter him in work. Personally, I think the fellowship and most importantly, the worship is the most important part of what we do together. Uh, but that's just me. And so the, the worship is what I love because I have encountered God many times uh, in worship and in singing. But what we're here to do is to encounter the living God, the living God, so that, so that we can then go out and help each other see life from God's perspective. I'm telling you that you can't leave here and help anybody see life from God's perspective if you don't come here and encounter God, either in the worship or the fellowship or in the word, but have a supernatural encounter with God. Second question I want to ask you is we're going to begin to transition into seeing this heavenly perspective. Think about the worst day of your life. It may bring some heartache, and I understand that, and maybe that's a place of healing God needs to do in your life. But if you can think back to the worst day that you would call of your life, what would that day be? If you're a note taker, write that question down and think about it. 
Let me give you an answer that I came up with. Every day that you don't have an encounter with God is the worst day of your life. See, it's not just this place. It's not just this place we look to encounter God. My praise is I got to encounter God every morning this week in some way. He gave me today's sermon. He gave me another day's sermon on Wednesday. Thursday, I was jumbled between both of them and didn't know which one to choose. But every morning this week, I got up and I encountered God. I encountered him in prayer and I encountered him in the word. And I'm telling you, the days that are the worst days of our life, it's not when we lose loved ones. It's not when things go incredibly wrong. It's the days that we try to do it in our own strength. Those are the worst days of our life when we don't encounter God and we're not seeing it from his perspective. Every day you live life in your power is the worst day of your life. And so the next question I want to ask you, and this is like just the introduction, is what is the best day of your life? Think about the absolute best day of your life because in this passage of Scripture, we're going to see Moses' mom seemingly have the worst day of her life when she places Moses in a basket and sets him in the river to die because that's what they were commanded to do, throw him in the river. And then we're going to see what Moses have, what is seemingly, the world would say, the best days of his life. Those days that he looked at him. And he said, you know what? None of this is worth what I'm heading toward. He had all the riches. He had all the wisdom. He had all the education. He had the best of that the world had to offer. And he walked away from it. And so we think and we look at circumstances, everyday circumstances, and we get to an end of, the, of a day and we say, that was the worst day of my life. And the only way that's possible is if you live that day in your own power. And then we have the greatest times. We get the big raise, the big promotion. We got all the stuff. We're out enjoying it. We're catching lobster, whatever it is. And we say, dude, that was the best day of my life. And I'm telling you, it pales in comparison to the real answer is the day you encounter him face to face. See, none of us have yet to experience the best day of our life. And we've got to understand something. If we're going to look and see life from God's perspective, the best day of our life is, is not yet come. Because we haven't met him face to face. We haven't lived in a redeemed body with no broke fingers and no hurt knees. We haven't lived in a redeemed body that doesn't, you know, I could do, when I get to heaven, I'm going to eat all the peanut butter cheesecake in the world and not gain weight. Dude, it's going to be great. Steaks like this big, and my body's not going to change. It's going to be in the perfect state God created it. And I'm going to get to live the rest of eternity, dude, face to face with my Redeemer, with a perfect body, restored to Eden, the garden, which, which basically the root word means pleasure eternal pleasure um, and with my Lord forever. So I want to give you this perspective 
real quick. I want you to think about something. We experience highs and we experience lows emotionally in life. But what if, this is what God gave me Monday night as I was praying for this lady. What if the worst days are what God uses to make us look forward to the best day? What if God uses our houses being flooded? What if he uses the loss of loved ones? What if he uses busted knees and broke fingers and broke trim motors to make us look so forward to the best day? What if things were so great that in our minds we said, man, I'm, I hope he delays in coming. What if we lived a life like that? I'm going to tell you, the day that you have the thought, I hope he delays in coming so that I can accomplish this on earth, that's the worst day of your life. That's the day you haven't encountered God and you haven't seen it from his perspective. What if he uses all these things, all these trials, all these tribulations to just, dude, I can't wait. I cannot wait to, to look through a set of eyes that don't lust. I can't wait to have a body that doesn't hurt. I can't wait that has, that, that, to the day that I have a heart that only wants to worship my Lord. I can't wait for that day. And I endure all these things on the way, looking forward to the best day of my life. Look what, uh, whew, I thought you didn't give it to me. <laughs> look at Psalm 90, verse 12. This is Moses. That's why I use this. I looked at just about everything I could to see if Moses was going to teach us something. And this is what he taught me this week. Something I had underlined and highlighted and all that good stuff in my Bible. But I want you to think about something. Moses says when he goes through this field about how powerful, saying you don't even know how powerful he is. You don't know the extent of, of the wrath of his anger. You don't know the extent of his goodness. You have no idea. Here's what he says. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray before we get into the message. Father, it's my desire that today, even though I have encountered you every day this week, Father, it's my desire to encounter you this morning in this word. For even something that's not in notes, for something that's not on the screen, Father, for something to come out so powerful and so good, it helps us to encounter your presence. Lord, if we just sit here and wait till you walked in the door, how long would it be? And how long would we be willing to sit in this place with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, willing to wait for you to walk in? Father, I pray that you come. None of this is worth the preaching is useless. The worship are just songs. Father, if you don't come and encounter us. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to come. Fill our hearts with wisdom. Fill it with knowledge. Father, teach us to number our days and help us to focus. Help us to have faith 
Father that stays on course when we're under the stresses of life, when, when, when this world is pushing its thumb down on us, Father, help us to look to you, to heaven, and say, I can't wait for the best day of my life. And Father, when everything is growing great, most importantly, when all the bills are paid and the houses are refinished and the automobiles are running great, and, and the boat's running good, and there's fish in the freezer, and all those things that we desire, Father, when every desire is fulfilled, help us to look and say, Father, I still cannot wait for the best day of my life, because I know it's yet to come, and I know all the bad that this world has for me, and all the good that this world has for me. It pales in comparison to the day I stand before you face to face. So, Father, today I, I ask that you help us to leave this place really seeing life from your perspective because we've sat in the room with you. And I ask that you do it in Christ's name. Amen. Whew. Whew. Hallelujah. All right, let's get on. If you got a Bible... We're going to be in Hebrews 11, but mostly in Exodus and some in Acts today. So I'm going to go on to Hebrews 11. Oh, that's me right there. If we exercise faith to focus, we can. I thought this was too simple. That's the reason it took me too much time to, or all that time to put this together. Because I really thought these points were too simple. They kind of came out of communion the other week. And I uh, only got three out of the four, but this is what God gave me. If we exercise our faith to focus, that means to have faith that um, stays on course when we're under stress. We're going to be able to look back. I want you to think about something. If you look back over your life right now. And if we do it from the perspective that God gives us, from an encounter with him, do you see victories behind you? Because when we look back in faith, we ought to be able to see victory. Let me just say something. The very fact that you're in this place today means that there's victory behind you. The very fact that you had the desire to come and encounter God and hear his word means that there's been victories, overcoming of things behind you. The overcoming of self, one of the biggest. The overcoming of sin. The overcoming has, is behind you. You can look behind you in faith and see, man, God has been through a lot to get me here. He has done a lot to bring me to this place. Let me show you how... Um, let me show you how Moses' mom did it. Verse 23 says, By faith, when Moses was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Let's go to Exodus. Let me bring you through Exodus chapter 1 just as fast as I can do it. And I'll show you why she wasn't afraid of the king. And I'll show you that what she was doing when she looked back was she, she seen what God had done to get her where she was at that day. 
Uh, this is Exodus chapter 1. You, you should go through and read Exodus 1, 2, and 3 over the next couple of weeks because I'm sure we're going to be preaching a bunch of that material. Verse 6 says, And Joseph died, and all his brothers of that generation, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was what? Filled with them. So what happened? Now there arose a king, a new king over Egypt, who didn't know Joseph. Um, and so let me walk you through this real quick. What happened was, the king, when he came up after uh, Joseph, saw that these people were increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew mighty. And guess what happened? They no longer feared the Egyptians, but the Egyptians feared them. That's what happened. Let me show it to you. Verse 12 says, But the more that then they brought forth, because they feared them, they brought forth this affliction. They made these taskmasters. And, these, and they commanded, the king commanded these taskmasters to work them hard, work them with vigor, make, make them pay, oppress them. Their job was to oppress God's people. And look what verse 12 says. It says, The more they afflicted them, the more they oppressed them, the more that they multiplied and they grew. And they were in dread. The Egyptians were in dread of the children of Israel. In other words, the more this world put its thumb on them, the more they grew. The more hurt they felt, the more pain they felt, the more affliction they felt, the more broken fingers, busted motors, the more flooded houses, the more things that this world threw at them, the more it grew. And guess what? The enemy got scared. Let me tell you something. If this world throws things at you and you do nothing but grow and blossom out of that, there's an enemy called Satan. He's getting a little bit nervous. He's going to, you're going to bring some dread on him. You're going to be a threat to his already defeated kingdom. Skip to verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people because they were so scared and they dreaded these people so much. Every son who is, who is born, uh, you shall cast into the what? River. And every daughter you shall save alive. So this is what he did. He gave this command, because they were in such dread, to the midwives to, um, to murder the babies when they came, cast them into the river. And so the midwives, we believe, were Hebrew women. They got Hebrew names, the two that the scripture reveals to us. Beautiful Hebrew names. At least the meanings of them are. And uh, what they, he commanded them to kill the males. But they feared, the scripture says that they feared God, and they wouldn't do it. And um, so the, when the king came to them and told them to give an account, this is what they said. Those Hebrew women, they're, they basically, they're spitting them out faster than we can keep up with them. They're vigorous. They're not like us. They don't wince in pain. They're not crying. They're tough. They're, they're producing more babies than we can keep up with. 
And so the scripture says that God blessed those midwives and increased their families and, um, and they refused to do it. And so let's move on to the next point where we get to Moses' mom. So she, when she decided to hide Moses for three months, she looked back and seen that we're no longer the victim here. And I'm telling you, if we was to, to take a moment today and just look back over our lives, you would no longer walk around with the victim mentality. You, you would understand that I'm a victor in this. I'm no longer a victim. God has brought me all this way. And if you get real good and deep and honest with yourself, you'll see that you didn't really have much to do with it along the way. That he did it for his own namesake in his own power. And so when she looked back, she realized that we're no longer, we're not really slaves anymore. As a matter of fact, they're doing what they're doing because they're scared that we could actually take over if we wanted to. And so the next thing we look at is that in Exodus 2, is that she looked around. And what the scripture reveals to us when she looked around, what she saw was a beautiful child. She looked back and seen that this command from the king was given because he was afraid. And she looked around and seen that there's something different about this baby. If you read the account of Luke in Acts 7, where um, Stephen is preaching, so it might actually be Stephen's account, but Luke wrote it. I call it the account of Luke. It says that God was pleased with him, that Moses was so handsome, that he, that he was such a beautiful child, that God was pleased with him. So if we look around us in faith, we can see grace to live for today. How many of you have grace to live for today? How many of you need some grace to get through the rest of this sermon? Y'all don't want to raise your hand. That was a good question. And so I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture. It says, and, and a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife as the daughter of, uh, daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. See, this is what Exodus and Hebrews reveals to us. But if you read Luke's account in Acts chapter 7, it tells us that, um, that God was pleased with Moses. And so there's a little bit more to it. Uh, verse 3 says, But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the riverbanks. And his sister, how many of y'all remember Moses' sister, Miriam, stood afar off to know what would be done. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down uh, to bathe at the river, and her maidens, maidens walked along the riverside, and when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was what? Weeping, crying. Wow. So she had compassion on him and said, well, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister uh, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse uh, for you from the Hebrew women? that she may uh, nurse the child for you. So here we have this picture of um, Moses' mom seeing how beautiful Moses was. 
knowing that there was something more, having faith beyond the circumstances, beyond what she could see, beyond um, the king's command, having, knowing that there's something more to it than, this, than just this, takes it upon herself to hide him. And when she couldn't hide him anymore, she somewhat obeyed the king's command and made this little ark and set Moses in this little ark and set him off in the river and then had her daughter wait and see what would happen. When she looked around at all the circumstances, she found grace and strength. Let me tell you something. Could you imagine as a parent having to do something like that? Would that not seem like the worst day of your life? Would it not? But there's something more. When we're able to look through those things in faith like she did, that's why she's in this chapter. She, she is one of the, the Hall of Fame faithers. She was able to take her baby son and cast him into the river, not knowing. Leaving her, it says she left her daughter behind. She didn't even want to know what would happen to him. She didn't want to know if the ark would sink. She left her daughter behind to see what would happen. And so that moves us on to the next point. We look forward. You see, we look behind us to see victory. And today, and then tomorrow when you go to work, and then every other day you can look around to see grace for that day. Grace enables us. It empowers us to believe. It gives us the ability to believe. But then we get to look forward and think, because I know, dude, I know. I know that this is not my home. I know that this world can throw whatever it wants at me whenever it wants. And I may not like it. I may hate it. It might suck. But I am looking forward to, in faith to the day that I am going to see him face to face. Amen? I'm looking forward. I know that I have a redeemed body to come. I know that he's going to bring me back to that place where I can walk in the garden with him. I know it. And so I get to look forward every day. Dude, I've had some situations. I've had some days at work where I just wish Jesus would come back right now. Come and save me out of this situation. But instead, he gave me the grace to keep going. I, that's how my, my life at work is right now. I wish he would come back today. Not because I hate my job, but because there's so much on me at my job. Dude, it, 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 sometimes it's overwhelming. And this is what he was showing me, for me this week, that, son, if you'll just operate, if you'll exercise the faith to stay focused, basically faith that stays on course under all this stress. Don't allow all this that I'm putting on you to prepare you for the place that I've prepared for you to overcome you. Stay focused. Look through the lens of a heavenly perspective. 
And so that's my encouragement for all of us today is she was able to look forward in faith. Faith to seeing Jesus. I should have put this on here, but I didn't. Or did I? No, I didn't. I want to read you this statement that he gave me and help you to understand this. You remember that it said that she didn't fear the king's command? She saw how beautiful she was. She was able to look forward in faith. You see, Moses was a type of um, Christ in the Old Testament. He came similar by water, just like Jesus came by water. That's what Moses' name actually means, that I drew him out of water. Uh, and so he was a type of savior, if you would. He was the savior in the Old Testament. He was revered up to and still is revered um, today as the guy, Moses is. And so um, let me read this to you. When we look forward in faith to seeing Jesus, misguided fear. See, she was able to see that God had a plan for his life. She was able to see that something better was coming out, and so her fear was guided in the right direction. Misguided fear makes us lose focus. When, we, when our fear is, isn't in the right place, when we fear the circumstances, when we fear the outcome of everything that the world's throwing at us, we become ineffective. And because she didn't fear her fear wasn't misguided. It wasn't in the king's command. It wasn't in, in the outcome of what the king would do. But she feared God and that she saw the child was beautiful and that she had a faith to move beyond what she could see. She was effective. And the outcome of that, we're going to probably learn here in a few weeks, is that Moses went on to lead his people out of, out of Egypt. And... Uh, so let me read this to you. Misguided fear makes us lose focus and become ineffective in our purpose. You see, we're all put here for a purpose. My purpose today in this place is to teach you something, to communicate my thoughts to you, to preach it, and then to help you put it into action. Or in other words, bring the word of God into a state where it becomes normal in your life. It's healing. We're to teach, to preach, and to heal. That's something else God showed me this week. Misguided fear makes us lose focus and become ineffective in our purpose, which is to make disciples. And Jesus set out to make disciples. The scripture says that he taught them, that he communicated his thoughts by word, and that he healed them. Basically, he bring them, brought them to a state where natural functions could occur. That's what our purpose is in encountering God today and encountering him in, in the word and teaching and preaching is to bring the word of God to a place in our life where it becomes a natural function. It just becomes a part of who we are. And so let's move on to page two, second part of this. Exodus 2, verses 8 through 10. Oh, this is the rest of it. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went, called the child's mother. This was the outcome. Because she didn't fear, this was the outcome. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, This child, take this child away and nurse him for me. 
and I will give you your wages. So the mother took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of water. Misguided fear makes us lose focus and become ineffective in our purpose, which is to make disciples. If we exercise the faith to focus, part two, we can look back in faith and see what? When I look back, I ought to see what? When I'm not seeing victory, what's wrong? Fear. When I'm not seeing victory, I'm not looking back and wanting to see life from God's perspective. How many of us, how many of you ever had a, a, a moment in time where you've looked back to complain? If you read about these Israelites, you'll see they look back to complain quite a bit. And so when we're looking back on our life, it's not to allow guilt to come in for past sin. It's not to allow those things. It's to look back and see, man, look where God's brought us. Yeah, the circumstances look like we're slaves in Egypt, but they have put out this command because they're so scared of us that we could might take over this nation. And that's the way we ought to live our life. Every time the world presses us, man, it, the people ought to see that, dude, look, how does this dude get through this stuff? How did this person do it? How did they overcome these things? Where does this come from? It, it ought to, uh, people ought to want to know and to have and, and to see this faith that we walk in every day. So we look back in faith and see victory. Second part of it, Hebrews 11:24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, um, we're going to go to Acts and see what age that was here in a minute, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked forward to the reward. Acts 7. This is Luke's account of it. At this time Moses was born and was well pleasing to God. That's what I was telling you earlier. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. That means set out in the river. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and in deed. Now when he was how old? 40 years old. Let me tell you something cool. God showed me this. God, Moses had three 40-year periods, basically, in his life. And I want to tell you what he did, and it might come up again. It might even be on here. But I want to tell you what he did. God brought Moses through his first 40 years. He had everything the world had to offer. You name it. I think it says he had wisdom. He was mighty in words, and he was mighty indeed. He had all the riches that, that Egypt had to offer, which we think at the time was the most prosperous, prosperous, whatever, you know what I mean, <laughs> prosperous <laughs> nation on the earth at the time. 
And Moses was top of the ch chain. He was at the very top of it. That's the first 40 years of his life. But then something happened. Moses began to look back. And he realized, all what I see behind me is not worth the oppression that I see going on to my people. I'm not willing to trade all that the world has to offer to walk with the world and walk away from God's people. And so he chose, rather, to suffer affliction, Hebrews tells us, than to, to carry on with what the world had to offer. In verse 24, And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed um, and, stuck and struck down the Egyptian. I'm going to show you something cool out of Exodus here in a minute. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But guess what? They didn't understand. Exodus 2, y'all read that for reference. So I'm going to um, take you through this real quick and preach on this information that I just gave you for a minute. Looking back in faith to see victory, Moses saw all the treasures, all the battles he had won, all the deeds he had accomplished, all the education he had, all the things that were of great worldly value. He looked back and he saw those things and he said, life is good. Terry, is life good? Life is good. Life is good. Mikey, is life good? Life's good. All the bills are paid. I have no worries. Life is good, right? And when we look back, and, and see that all those things are taken care of. Some of us can do that, and some of us are on the other, other, um, other end of the spectrum. But Moses looked back and said, dude, I've got everything. I've got the best food. I've got, the, all, I've got it all. But there was a problem. He looked back and seen all that life was good, except his brethren are oppressed. And this is what Moses said. And this is the mentality we should walk around with. Moses says, if I can't share all of this with all of them, then this isn't worth having. And so it is with the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. If the gospel isn't so good that we can't share all that we have inside the gospel with those people, with all our brethren and those that we work with and those that we're around every day, then what is the gospel worth to us? Moses looked and said, dude, all this is great, but if I can't share it with, with my people, then it's not worth having. And so he walked away from it, but he walked away from it not so much by choice. Let me show you what happened. He was able to look back and see that all that he had wasn't worth it if it wasn't if he couldn't share it with um, with his brethren. And then he began to look around. And this is pretty cool. He looked around in faith and he saw grace for today. Exodus two twelve says so he looked this way and he looked that way. So what we just read it says when he looked he seen the Egyptian afflicting his brethren. This is the very next verse says, so he looked this way, and he looked that way, and when he saw no one, he did what? Killed the Egyptian. And then he did what? He hid him. 
Let me tell you what happens next. When he looked around, the only problem that Moses had was he tried to solve the problem the way the Egyptians solved problems. Because he had just, he was 40 years old when this happened. He had just spent 40 years learning how to do it the Egyptian way. And so when he came upon this problem, the only thing Moses knew how to do was solve problems the way the Egyptians solved problems. And so what did he do? Killed the guy. If we got a problem, that's how we saw, and that's how they did it. The problem was that was when Moses was looking for that grace for today, and he saw this opportunity to change things, he took that opportunity. The problem with it was is he did it the way the Egyptians did it instead of doing it God's way. So what God then did was took that situation that many people would have said, this is the worst day of my life. It's the worst day, man. I just lost all that the world had to offer. I just lost all the treasures of Egypt because I made this mistake. God then took that situation and moved him out into the wilderness because he had been filled with the Egyptian way of life for 40 years. For the next 40 years, God would then purge the Egyptian way of life out of him so that the third 40-year period, he could then lead God's people God's way. And you, you guys got to understand something. We may go through seasons where we're not looking at life from God's perspective because it's tough. But dude, when we, when, when we have all the things that the world has to offer, when we have conditioned air, refrigerators with food in them, when we have all these things and we're not thanking God and recognizing God for the small things, dude, you might have to go through a season where you don't have air conditioning. You might have to go through a season because you've been trusted in those things. And God may need to take you through a season where he purges those things out of you so that when he calls you into the next season, you can do his will his way. That's pretty good right there. His will, his way. That's better than y'all think it is. Just want you to know. But sometimes that's the way it is. And that's what happened to Moses. When he looked and said, these things ain't worth having, and I know how to fix it, let me just kill the Egyptian. God said, no, that's not my way. And you can never lead my people the way I want you to lead my people until I get you away from this place and purge this out of you. And so for the next 40 years, Moses spent time in the desert so that he could then take God's people and lead them through the desert. Check this out. God took him out into the wilderness for the next 40 years to purge Egypt out of him so that he would be equipped to lead the people for the last 40 years of his life. This is tough, especially if you're in a place of leadership. But man, this is something we got to get through our head. Is that sometimes the leader's going to have to go before the followers. You see, Christ calls us to deny ourselves, don't he? He calls us to take up our cross and follow him, does he not? But did he do it before us? Did he deny himself first? 
Did he take up his cross and carry it up to the hill of Calvary? See, a good leader is able to walk in the wilderness before he leads the others through the wilderness. Sometimes we have to experience those hard places in life in order that we can help each other see life from what? God's perspective. Sometimes God's going to have to show us how to get through the wilderness. Sometimes he's going to have to show us even how to get to Sinai. Sinai, Sinai. Sometimes he's going to have to walk us through. And that's what he does with leadership. See, we all aspire to be leaders at some point. But we want to be leaders that don't have to walk through no rough terrain. We want to be leaders that don't have to endure hardships. We want to be leaders that nothing has to be purged out of. We want to be leaders that you don't add anything to. We just want to lead the people or lead wherever we're at in our will and our way. And God in his grace and his mercy don't allow us to do that. And thank God that he don't. So the last point, look forward in faith to seeing Jesus. We know that Hebrews told us that um, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passion pleasures of sin, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. He esteemed it. Because he was looking forward to the reward. If you could have anything you wanted today, I don't need your church answer, but I want you to think. If God would fulfill any desire in you today, think about what it would be. Just for a moment, think about what it would be. Oh my gosh. Is it really good? Now, let me tell you what would be the best reward if God himself showed up. And then see, until we can live life, you ain't going to do it continuously because you're imperfect and the flesh takes over its time, but until we can live life continually coming back to that perspective that the best day of my life is the day that I get to meet you face to face, when I shed off this body, when I'm done with this world, the best day of my life is yet to come. We look forward in faith to seeing Jesus. It was of more value to him than everything behind him and everything around him. Moses was looking forward to the best day of his life. He was looking forward to it. And you know we get to read in Matthew that him and Elijah came down and they hung out with Jesus on the mountain. I thought about that. And I thought about like the heavenly time perspective. Jesus was probably gone, you know, we know like 33 years. But he was probably gone like three minutes in heaven. Time wise. But guess what? Moses and Elijah, they was like, man, now, this is just a thought, but it's like, man, Jesus has been going like two and a half minutes, dude. we got to go see him. You ever think about that? He was gone like, because there's no perspective of time in heaven. And so it, it was probably like a flash of an eye to the heavenly host. 
the 33 years that he spent on earth. And yet Moses and Elijah had to come visit him on the mountain for whatever purpose we don't even know. But we just know that they came. I thought it was a pretty cool thought that I thought about. Moses was looking forward to the best day of his life so he didn't lose his, what? Focus. To fulfill his purpose, which is making a whole nation of disciples. See, that's our purpose in everything that we do. The Lord showed me this week that I don't need to make better employees. I need to make better disciples at work. That's what he showed me. Everywhere we go is a process of making disciples. You got kids, you're in a process of making disciples. You've got family members, anyone that's following you, anyone that's under you, your job is to make them disciplined learners. We have a job of making disciples. And because of the process God took Moses through, he gave it all to him. He, made him. he allowed him to choose whether to keep it or to walk away from it, and he chose to walk away from it. The only problem with him choosing to walk away from it is he wanted to do it the only way he knew how, which was the Egyptian way. And so God took that next 40 years and purged that Egyptian way out so that for the next 40 years he could make disciples God's, God's will, God's way. And so it, it's not about the programs that we implement. It's not about the things that we do in the process of making disciples. It's about encountering God and then going and sharing it with other people. Hebrews 3.5. Did you give me that? Oh, yeah. This is what Hebrews says. It says, in that process of making disciples that Moses indeed was faithful in all his house, God's house, as a servant for the testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. We need faith on course under stress. Everybody say this with me. Faith on course under stress. One more time. Faith on course under stress. Focus to fulfill our purpose, which is making disciples. In the process of making disciples, this is a good thing, man, God gave me just a few months ago. In the process of making disciples, there may be some reproach. In the process of sharing the gospel, you may receive some reproach. And so this is the application I want to leave you with. And, and what we're doing in the work of God as the body of Christ, we're going to suffer some sort of Reproach in the process of sharing the gospel, in the process of making disciples, we're going to suffer some sort of reproach or resistance. So let me ask you a question. If you share the gospel with someone and you plant a seed in their life, would you call that a win or a loss? A win. If you share the gospel with someone and you... Um, and you win them to Christ, would you call that a win or a loss? If you share the gospel with someone and they reproach you, they rebuke you, they cuss you out in the Walmart parking lot, would you call that a win or a loss? It's a win. It's a win. And see, we've got to be living life from God's perspective to know that. Because this is what Peter tells us. 
Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is upon you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached, everyone say reproached. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, what? Blessed. Blessed are you. Why? For the spirit of glory, for the spirit of glory and of God, two different spirits, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. And on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. Is that it, Jose? Focus, having a faith that stays on course under stress. Maybe if we start to look at life from this perspective, if I share the gospel and plant a seed, I win. If I share the gospel and win someone to Christ, I win. If I share the gospel and I'm reproached for it, I win. Because either way, I'm advancing the kingdom. Either the spirit of glory and God's going to fall on me, or, or a new person enters the kingdom, or I've planted a seed for someone else to water. So when's the only time that we lose? When we do nothing. When you're not sharing the gospel, it's the only time you lose. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you for um, this word today. And it seems, Father, that as difficult as it was to get, it was that difficult to come out. Um, but, Father, I know by the power of your Holy Spirit that you are able. And so, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to take the words that, were, that are being sung in this place today, the fellowship that is being um, trans, that is transpired in this place today, Father, in the word that you've given us today. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to drive it deep into our hearts and help us not to lose focus. Father, in the place that our hearts are lacking faith to stay on course under the stresses of this life, those stresses could be stresses of how I'm going to manage my will or stresses of there's not enough for, for me to eat tomorrow. Whatever spectrum those stresses are on. Father, I pray that today that you give us a perspective that I can look backwards and see either the good or the bad, but I can see victory in it. And I can look around and I can see grace for today. If I've got more work than I can do or if I don't have any work at all. Father, I pray that you help us to see and experience your grace for each day and to help us to understand that each situation comes in our life so that we don't get too caught up in this world, that we don't invest too much in this world, but that we will continually look forward, Father, to the best day of our life, the day when we stand before you face to face in eternity. Father, if you're moving in the heart, of any person in here uh, Lord and they just need to experience or encounter you or they felt like they haven't encountered you in a long time 
I pray, Father, during the moments of this last song of worship, as we lift our hands and our hearts towards you and say, I surrender, that, Father, you'll encounter them. Lord, I believe you will, and I thank you in advance for what you're doing and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.